when I, uh, when I meet a Christian I, and I get to spend a few quiet moments with them, I always like to ask them how they became a Christian. Um, I love to hear conversion stories. And you know, one thing some people will often say to you, they'll say, well, I don't have a very dramatic conversion story. And I always say to those people, when they say that to me, I always say, I beg, I beg to differ about that. Every conversion story is dramatic. Every single one of them is dramatic. It's always miraculous. It's always supernatural. It's always an amazing thing that God has done. The only conversions that are not dramatic are those, are those ones that are merely religious, which are, in fact, no true conversion at all. You know what I'm talking about. It's uh, the religious guys, you know. Uh, many religious men have um, co-opted Christianity and they've come up with these little, these little formulas and they tell you if you'll do these little formulas that you'll be a Christian. They're usurping the power and the mystery of uh, born-again Christianity. And they say, hey, if you'll just do these three, four, five, or six things, we'll, we'll pronounce you a Christian and you'll be a Christian and you'll be headed uh, for heaven. So you do those three, four, five, or six things and the religious guy pronounces you a Christian and the church lady writes your name on, on the church roll and you're in. You know, almost every denomination, almost every denomination that calls itself Christian has a formula. They have a little formula. And they say, if you do this little formula, we'll pronounce that you are a Christian and that you will land in heaven. It's all very neat and tidy and predictable and manageable and very, very non-dramatic. Very non-dramatic. It's, it's not unlike uh, joining any other club or organization. You, you go through the initiation and you parrot the right words at the right time. You nod affirmatively at the right time and you're in. You're in. And I may not be describing uh, some of your experiences, but this was pretty much my experience as, as a young man. I just had to do the formula. I just had to do the formula. There's nothing wrong with ceremony. And I don't, don't, I don't want you to hear me saying that there's something wrong with ceremony. There's nothing wrong with ceremony. But a ceremony is only an outward expression of an inward reality. And this is what we always say when we do our baptism services. Hey, baptism doesn't save anybody. This doesn't make you a Christian. You're already a Christian. That's why you want to go into those, uh, those waters and be baptized in obedience to Christ. That's why you do that. Because you love Him. You know, obedience is just love for the Christian, right? So, there's nothing wrong with ceremony, but ceremony has to be an, an outward expression of an inward reality. And, you know, I talk to some people and they say, yeah, I'm a Christian because I, I went through that ordinance and, or I did those sacraments or I, I did this thing or I did that thing or I prayed this prayer or I, I did this. Friends, that can't be the sum and substance of your testimony. If you're a Christian, let me, let me say this. If you're a born-again believer, you've got a radical story to tell. You've got a dramatic conversion to share. You've got a dramatic conversion to share. Real, genuine, authentic, biblical conversion is always dramatic. Listen to how the Bible talks about conversion. Just listen to it for a few minutes. God told the Old Testament Jews, He says, Man, you're so messed up, I'm going to have to do a heart transplant on you guys. I'm going to have to rip out that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. That's pretty dramatic. This is how God talks about Christian 
conversion. He told the Old Testament Jews as well. He said, man, I'm going to have to put my spirit in it, in you. Your spirit is so depraved and so wicked and so prone to run from me. I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to put the third member of the Trinity in you. This is how God speaks. This is how the Bible speaks about true biblical conversion. Jesus told Nicodemus, what? You know that famous passage, John chapter 3. What? You must be born again. I've never seen a religious formula yet that can contain the mystery and the power of being born again. Although, you know, so many denominations try, man. They just try to, they try to usurp the mystery and the power of God and they try to put it in a formula. Friends, you can't put Christianity in a formula. You can't put Christianity in a formula. John chapter 3, you must be born again. You must be begotten of God. You must be born from above. You know, Paul told the Corinthians, he said, hey, you've got to become brand new. <laughs> That's pretty dramatic. You've got to be new if you're going to go with Christ. He told the Ephesians, he said, you were dead, but now you're what? You're alive. That's pretty dramatic, wouldn't you say? If you're a genuine Christian tonight, you were dead, but now you live. That's pretty dramatic. Don't tell me you don't have a dramatic conversion story. If you know Christ, it's dramatic. And as Peter told his readers, God has called them out of the darkness and into the light. This is the language and imagery that the Bible uses. And it's vivid, it's extraordinary, it's striking, and it's dramatic. This is how the Bible speaks about true conversion, becoming a Christian. Not only that, if we read our Bibles at all, we realize that we see the fact that, that there's been a, a huge change in the lives of, of the men and women who have encountered God. A huge change, a radical change. Abraham left his home not knowing where he was going. Moses went and stood in front of Pharaoh with just a stick in his hand. Right? Joshua believed God and he took the promised land. David stepped in front of a giant. Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give half my possessions away. Hey, don't tell me if you've become a Christian. It's not radical and it hasn't changed your life. Because if you've experienced Jesus Christ, <laughs> let me tell you, <laughs> and I'm sure I can get some amens here, your life's going to change. Your life will change. Peter left his boat. Matthew left his profession. And Paul left his religion. True conversion is always dramatic. Becoming a, a true Christian is always dramatic and it dramatically affects the life. A couple of weeks ago, you may remember, we talked about uh, screw tape and Wormwood. And, and Wormwood's patient, his human being, um, had made a profession of faith in Christ. And you may, may remember what screw tape said to him, the senior demon. He said, hey, hey, don't worry about it, man. I've seen this a hundred times. I see this all the time. People profess faith in Christ all the time. But what I want to wait and see is, has it changed the life? Because if it hasn't changed the life, it doesn't mean anything. It's just dead religion. Okay? And so we remember that great illustration from the screw tape letters. Screwtape says, hey man, if the heart hasn't changed and the thinking hasn't changed and the life hasn't changed, he said, that's not real Christianity. So we're not too worried about a profession of faith like that. Sometimes you'll hear people say, you know, I hear this a lot, people say, hey, hey man, that guy was radically converted. Well, what I want to say to you is that's redundant because if you're converted, you're radically converted. You know, the connotation is, man, he's had a real life change. Well, what I want to say to you is if you're a Christian, You've had a real life change. If you haven't had a real life change, then we need to examine ourselves, as Paul told the Corinthians. He says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. The most loving thing a pastor can do 
and, and I'll do it right now, is to challenge each one of you in this room, examine yourself. Are you in the faith? Have you had a life change? Do you love Christ, and are you giving yourself away to Christ? It's, you know, we bumped into another one of those pesky oxymorons that we keep run, running into. It's a non-life-altering, a non-life-changing conversion. The Bible doesn't know anything about this kind of conversion. The Bible teaches and illustrates that if we've come into relationship with Christ, we are brand new. Everything's changed. Everything. Everything has changed. So James tells us today that one of the principal effects of being truly converted is that we become doers of the Word. You heard the text read. So I hope you have your Bibles open to James chapter 1. And this is what... uh, This is what uh, name brand Christianity looks like. I heard a great sermon yesterday. I went running and I listened to it on tape. It was great. He says, hey, you know, we talked about this just a month or so ago. He says, hey, man, you're not supposed to live for today. You're supposed to live for the day. What is the day? The day that we'll stand in front of Jesus at the Bema seat, right? We're not to live for today. We live for the day. We talked a whole lot about that in our Heaven series. And James is saying, hey, that's what real Christianity looks like. We do the Word of God. We know that in the first few verses of James chapter 1, he's been talking to us about trial. He says, hey, the doer of the Word, the genuine Christian, doesn't get blown away in the trial. He doesn't get blown over in the trial. He lets his joy rule over his trial and have authority over his trial. Doers of the Word, they don't allow that trial to mushroom into temptation and possible sin because we... we uh, We entertain biblical theology. We entertain good theology. We bring to mind the goodness of God. And I just felt compelled to step back for a minute and expand on that thought just a minute before I get into the new verses. And I just wanted to remind you about Jeremiah. You know that great text he wrote there in in Lamentations chapter 3. Jeremiah was in a gut-wrenching trial. Everything was wrong. Everything was upside down. You may remember what he says there. In uh, Lamentations chapter 2, he says, I'm filled with bitterness. I'm torn to pieces. I am desolate. I, I have forgotten what happiness is like. He says, my hope has perished. But then he says, I recall to mind. I love this passage. He says, then I recall to my mind. What did he recall to his mind? Does anybody remember? The faithfulness and goodness of God. His situation, his circumstance has not changed at all. But he, be, he begins to remember. He begins to let his good theology rule over his circumstance, right? His biblical theology. He brings that true knowledge of God to bear into his trial as we've been talking about the last few weeks. And Jeremiah says this, This I recall to my mind. Therefore I have hope the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness. And this is what we were talking about last week. And I just had to step back and touch on that one more time. This is what James was saying to us last week. God is innately good. He's irrepressibly good. He's incandescently good. He's infinitely good. Always remember that, Christian, even when it's hard. Remember, God is good. God is good. Even if your circumstance hasn't changed, God is good. He's unchangingly good. He is the immutably good God. That brings us to verse 19. I hope you'll follow along with me. I'm going to read, reread 19 to 21. This you know, my, bre- my beloved brethren, 
But let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. Did you notice those first three or four words there? I love these first three or four words. He says, you already know this. And this is true every time a preacher stands in the pulpit. Probably every time I stand in the pulpit, the majority of you already know the truths that I am going to seek to impart. You already know it. But what's the issue for the preacher? It's to, not to exhort you to know it. What is my job? To exhort you to what? Do it. That's where the test comes. You know, you're not going to get a written exam when you get to heaven. It's not what you know, it's how you lived. It's how you obeyed the Lord Jesus Christ. And how you were stewardship of all that He's given you, all the resources and gifts and talents. Every day is a stewardship before Christ. If we call ourselves Christians, but He says, hey, you guys know this. You guys already know this. John MacArthur tells a great story. He was in college. And a, a, a traveling uh, pastor came through to his church and and uh, he was from, from uh, Scotland. And, and uh, he preached this fiery sermon, you know. And John MacArthur was just a young boy. He, said, he went up to him and he said, Hey, man. He said, That was a great sermon. I really like that. And this Scottishman looked him, up, looked, looked him right in the eye very sternly. And he said, Oh, yeah? What are you going to do about it? And MacArthur was, like, MacArthur was like this, you know. Well, I'm just trying to be nice to you, man. Get, off my, get out of my face, right? But MacArthur said, The more I thought about it, the more appropriate I understood this response. And so I have a new policy. I told the morning congregation, in the unlikely event, (laughs) that you want to compliment me on the message that I deliver, I'm going to look you in the eye and I'm going to say to you, what are you going to do about it? This is my new policy. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? I love that story. I I think it's a great... It's a great story. It's not what we know. It's what we do with what we know. What we do with what we know. So James says to his readers here, he says, you already know this. You already know this. But then he says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. You know, we, we, we get these teaching from the Proverbs. I, I'll just share a few Proverbs with you very quickly. Uh, the listening aspect here, uh, Proverbs 19.20. The Proverbs says, listen to counsel that you may be wise. Proverbs 21.28, the man who listens to the truth will speak forever. And then he talks to the Proverbs speak to this being slow to speak. Uh, Proverbs 10.19 when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. He who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs 13.3, the one who guards his mouth preserves life. And then the Proverbs also addresses this issue of anger. Proverbs 14.29, he who is slow to anger has great understanding. Proverbs 16.32, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And some people will say, well, this is just a... a, a proverbial admonition by James, but I, I'm going to disagree, and I'm not dogmatic on this, but uh, I read John MacArthur's thoughts on this text, and I think he's right. 
He says this has to do with how we respond to the Word of God. And again, I'm not going to be dogmatic about this, but I think he's right because look at the context. Verse 18 mentions the Word of God. Verse 21 mentions the Word of God. Verse 22 mentions the Word of God. Verse 23 mentions the Word of God. Verse 25 talks about the perfect law and law of liberty, which is a reference to the Word of God. And I think MacArthur's right. This, this is an admonition to, to uh, how we respond to the Word. So I want to I run through it one more time. Be quick to hear what? Oh, the Word of God. This is what James is saying. Be quick to hear the Word of God. Let me ask you, did you just land in church uh, tonight because it was convenient or did you plan your whole week around it? Be quick to come and hear the Word of God preached. Be quick to come and gather with the body of Christ. Be quick to come and be edified and encouraged in the body of Christ. Hey, you don't just come to church when it's convenient. That's no Christianity at all. You come to build your whole week around it. To come and be with God's people and to hear His Word proclaimed. Be quick to hear the Word of God. Be slow to speak. He says we're to, be, we're, to be, uh, we're to think deeply about the Word. We're to be students of the Word. To be like the Bereans. To study out the Word. Not to be hasty to speak on an issue we're not sure of. We need to be sure before we speak. We need to be sure. He says be slow to speak. You know there's that warning over in James 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. He says let not many of you be teachers. Why should you not be a teacher? Because you will incur a stricter judgment. So... Be uh, slow to speak. And lastly, slow to anger. You know, this is the reaction that, that some people have to the Word of God. I see this all the time. I see it all the time. In fact, sometimes when I'm preaching, I can actually see it on their face. You know, you don't know how much I can read on your face. <laughs> I shouldn't tell you that. But um, when you preach, it's an astonishing thing what you can read. What you can read on the faces of people. But sometimes people hear the Word of God and they just get angry. They, they get resentful. They, they get even hostile. You know, the Word of God has challenged the way they live and their presuppositions of life and their worldview and their sin. And, and they don't want to hear about that. <laughs> That's why, you know, this room doesn't fill up. People don't want to hear about it. Right? They don't want to hear about that. They don't want to hear about a holy God. They don't want to hear about our sin. So... This is how name-brand Christianity lives. We're quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Verse 20, for the anger of a man does not achieve the righteousness of God. In verse 21, James exhorts us what? To receive the word in purity. To receive the word in purity. And I, I just have to, as an aside, I just have to make a comment here about how I love how the, the tapestry of Scripture and how God just just weaves in this tapestry the sovereignty of God in the salvation of men and the responsibility of men in the salvation of men. I just love this. If you have the eyes to see this, the ears to hear it, you see it all over the pages of Scripture. But look what he says in verse 18 we talked about last week. Look what he says. He says, In the exercise of, of God's will He brought us forth. This is the divine side of salvation. It was His will, the exercise of His will. And then, but, but look at verse 19. He says, hey, you need to be uh, quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. He says, you need to put aside all filthiness and, 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 and what remains of wickedness in all humility. This is the human side. We always cooperate with what God is doing. We always cooperate uh, in sanctification. But look what it says. By, uh, receive the word implanted. This is what God does. God implants the word in us by, by the Holy Spirit. This is the divine side. I just love this, this worship-provoking tension. It's all through the Scripture. 
God sovereignly saves, but man is responsible. <laughs> it's all through the Scripture. I love it. I absolutely, I absolutely love it. God says, put aside all filthiness and remaining wickedness. This is very common language in the New Testament, uh, and it highlights the radical nature of true conversion. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, Paul told the Ephesians to lay aside the old self. Is that not dramatic? I mean, do you just go in and do a ceremony at your church and you walk out and you live exactly the same way? Is that how you understand Christianity? Well, if you understand Christianity like that, you've got it wrong. You've not read your Bible. You're to lay aside the old self and pick up the ways of God, right? Is that not what the Bible teaches? Colossians 3.8 You put away the former ways. You put them away. You put them away. You don't live like that anymore. The new things have come, as Paul told the Corinthians. I don't live like that anymore. I live like this. I'm going with Jesus. I'm a doer of the Word. I've made my declaration. I belong to Him. I don't belong to the world anymore. Man, I don't live like that anymore. I don't love the world anymore. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to let my life show it in every realm of my life, in my marriage, with my kids, in my job, etc., etc., etc. People are going to know I love Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 12, verse 1, I lay aside, uh, we lay aside our sin. Christian friend, are you laying aside your sin? This is what it means to be a Christian. We're, we're perpetually laying aside our sin. We're putting it down. We're putting it down. We're putting it down. We're perpetually becoming doers of the Word. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, we put aside our old ways. We put aside our old ways. And look what God says here in, uh, in verse 21. He talks about receiving in humility. What does that mean? It just means we're teachable. We're teachable. You know, we don't, we don't walk in here, uh, we don't walk in here with, a, with doctrinal presuppositions. If we do have doctrinal presuppositions, God willing, they're, they're, they're biblical. But we're willing to hear whatever God says to us, even if it's uncomfortable. Amen? Whatever God says to us is okay. Even if it makes me real uncomfortable and I don't understand it. Man, i got to tell you, one time I was preaching in my home church. <laughs> 30 people got up and walked out. 10% of the congregation got up and walked out. All I was doing was preaching the Word of God. But they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear the Word of God. James says, uh, and the Holy Spirit tells us through James, man, we're to be humble before the Word of God. We're to, we're to sweat and, and toil over the Word of God. We're to receive the Word of God. We're not to do battle with it. It's, I, I've said this to you many, many times. We don't edit God in this church. We don't just pick and choose the soft, warm, fuzzy things that we like and, ex, and ignore the other things that we don't like. We don't do that. We don't do that. We humbly submit to every jot and tittle of the Word of God. Look at verse 22. One of the greatest verses maybe in all of the Scripture. Maybe the whole Bible's in verse 22. I don't know. A large percentage of the Bible's in verse 22. Look what he says. But prove yourselves doers of the Word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. This is a lifestyle. Present imperative, imperative tense to be continually doing the Word. This is the signature of our life, to continually do the Word. Let me ask you, Christian friend, is this the signature of your life? Is this what your friends and family read off of your life? You're a Word doer. You're a Word doer. This is what God's Word says about His children. And we talked about this word, uh, this Greek word translated doer, and I told you last time... Uh, 
Actually, it was my first sermon in the book of James. We, we looked at that just for a few minutes. And this word is actually translated poet in Acts 17, 28. And uh, what does a poet do? And I, I challenge you on this. I love this. I love this, uh, I love this, uh, this symmetry in the Greek language. A poet is one who is gifted in the perception and expression of beauty. Is that not what a Christian is? We've perceived the beauty of Jesus and we live it. We give it expression. Jesus was the incarnate Word and that's what you're supposed to be. You're supposed to incarnate the Word of God. That's what this text is about. You're supposed to do the Word of God. You're to incarnate it. You're to, inf- you're, you're to flesh it out in the world that the lost can see the glory of Christ. The glory of Christ. We are spiritual poets. I love that. That's what you're supposed to be, Christian friend, a spiritual poet. Your unbelieving friends are supposed to be reading spiritual poetry off of you. That you, you have come into relationship with the most beautiful being in the cosmos and it's changed your life radically and you give expression to that beauty and everything that you do. Everything that you do. And then we see God's warning here. What is God's warning? What is God uh, lovingly warning us about? And I, and I warn you about it as your pastor. What does he say? He says, man, if you just hear the word, but you don't ever do the word, what does God say? What? You are deluded. That's what the NAS says. Now, I looked at some other translation, other English translations. One of them says, you're deceiving yourself. The other one says, you're fooling yourself. My favorite was, you're beguiling yourself. If you hear the word, if you hear the word, but don't do the word, it's a mathematical term. It's, it's, it's a con, it's a fraud, it's false relis- r- arithmetic, it's fallacious reasoning. It will not add up to be a hearer and not a doer. That's not biblical Christianity. That's not biblical Christianity. Actually, this word hearer, this, this Greek word translated hearer, I love this, it's an ancient Greek term for auditors. Anybody an auditor in here? But when you audit a class, you ever audited a class? What, what, a, what does someone do when they audit a class? They don't really do the class. They don't really do the work. They're just in there what? Just, they just listen. And what I want to say to you, don't you dare be an auditor of the Word of God. Don't you dare come in here and just listen and not do the work. How much of the modern church, whole congregations are simply auditing the Word? They're just auditing the Word. They're just hearing the Word. They don't go out and do the Word. But God says, a man or woman who does that is deluded. They're deceived. They're cheating themselves. It's a con. It's a fraud. To hear the Word of God and not do the Word of God. This is what God says. This is not what Jim said. This is what God says. So let me ask you, examine your life, Christian friend. Are you doing the Word? Because if you're not doing the Word, God says you've been deceived. You've been deceived and you're merely religious. You're merely religious. Remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. He was talking about, you know, good trees bearing good fruit. And Jesus says, there is no good tree which produces bad fruit. You know, if you're out in the world producing bad fruit, then the implication is what? You're not a good tree. (laughs) You're not a good tree for producing bad fruit. Jesus goes on, for a tree is known by its fruit. Are you known out in the world by your fruit? 
Can the world see that you belong to Jesus by your fruit? He goes on to say, For men do not gather figs from thorns or grapes from a briar bush. And Jesus says, and you guys know this verse. This is one of the most convicting verses in all the Bible. Jesus looks at his men. He says, Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? You know, I talked to this morning to the congregation this morning about this false dichotomy. that It's in the church and you know, people want to receive Jesus as Savior, but they don't want to receive Him as Lord. I hear this all the time. Well, when I was 12, I, I received Jesus as Savior, but when I was 25, I received Him as Lord. Friends, that's a false dichotomy. That's not a biblical dichotomy. You can't divide Christ like that. You've either received Him wholly or you've not received Him at all. This is the clear teaching. The clear teaching of the Word of God, And I'm just going to turn real quick to Luke chapter 6 and just read a couple of verses to you there. Uh, Jesus says, you know, why do you, why do you call, say, say, call me Lord when you don't do what I say? And then this is the, the three verses right after that. Luke chapter 6 verse 47. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts upon them, I'll show you what he's like. Okay? So verse 48. Here's the wise man. Here's the, here's the man that builds his life on the rock. And he's not blown over when the trial comes. Listen to what Jesus says. He's like a man. He builds a house and he digs deep and lays a, a strong foundation on the rock. And when the flood rose and the torrent burst against that house, it could not shake that house uh, because it had been well built. Let me ask you, Christian friend, is that how you're building your life? Are you building on the Word of God? Are you acting on the Word of God? But listen to what he says in verse 49. The foolish man who builds on sand. Man, when the, when the storm comes, he's blown over. Listen to what Jesus says. Verse 49 of Luke chapter 6. But the one who has heard and has not acted. Did you get that? He hasn't acted on the Word of God. He was an auditor. All he did was hear it. He never put it into practice. And Jesus says about this man, He says he's like the man who's built on, uh, upon ground without any foundation. And when the, the torrent burst against it, uh, and immediately it collapsed, and the, the ruin of that house was great. If you're not doing the Word, Friends, what I want to say to you, your ruin is sure, according to the Word of God. You're building on sand. You've not built on the rock, and your ruin is sure. Look at verse 23 and 25, through 25. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror, for once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Verse 25, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in all that he does. Okay, let me just try to flesh out this analogy about the mirror just for a few minutes. I just want to try to flesh this out because I've always personally struggled a little bit with this analogy that the Holy Spirit is making here. But I think we've all experienced this. We've all left the house without taking a really close look at ourselves in the mirror. Have we not? Have you, have you never done Actually, we were on the, church, on the way to church this morning and Karen goes, oh, oh, my hair. I didn't do my hair right. You know, and then she had to adjust some kind of thing she was wearing. It wasn't set on the right notch or something. So she had to, she had to adjust some stuff. But it's like, you know, that's how it is, man. Sometimes you don't, you don't take long enough to look at yourself in the mirror and you go out and everything's not right. You know, stuff, 
stuff doesn't match and stuff's not zipped up and stuff's not buttoned up the way it ought to be and, and it's not the way it should be. And, you know, and I can't tell you how many times Karen will be driving down the road. She goes, man, did you shave? Because I have this like splotch right here. I just missed the whole part of my neck. I got distracted and it's, oh, you got hair hanging out of my neck. You know, but my favorite one, my favorite one, she does this to me all the time. Uh, she goes, Jim, you've got a 12-inch hair growing out of your ear. And, you know, this is what happens to men when you get old, when you're an old man. You get these grandpa hairs and they grow out of your ears. You know what I'm talking about, Bill? <laughs> these hairs, they grow out of your ears. And I, tell, I say, oh, well, let me, let me get that out. But, you know, if I'd have seen it in the mirror, man, I took care of that. I don't want to go out, I don't want to go out in public with a 12-inch hair in my ear. And, and, and this is what, this is the, the analogy you know, you're supposed to scrutinize yourself. Scrutinize yourself in the mirror before you go out. And this is what God's Word is. God's Word is a mirror. And you're supposed to look intently into the mirror and see yourself. And you see your sin. You see all the things you're doing wrong. You see the things you need to fix. And that's what God is saying. He says, fix it. Fix it. That's what this analogy is about. Don't leave the mirror too soon. And he's talking about an unbeliever here. He's talking about, you know, an unbeliever may have sit under work, you know, uh, an unbeliever may have uh, inadvertently strolled in and, and sat down in this church and, and uh, he heard the Word of God preached and, and, you know, it made him a little convicted, got a little convicted. And, uh, but as soon as he left, what? You know, he saw himself as God sees himself. He got a true reflection of himself and, and he got a little bit convicted. But as soon as he leaves here, he gets all distracted in the world again and he's forgotten that he needs to fix that thing. That's what he's talking about, a man who hears but never does. And he doesn't put into practice what he sees in that mirror. He doesn't fix what he sees in that reflection coming back at him. How many times have I said this to you? Man, the Word of God is always a mirror. It's always a mirror. And God shows us how awesome He is and how much we need him. Look at verse 25. I love this. He says, this is what a real Christian does. Look, verse 25, they look intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty. And what do they do? My Bible says they abide in it. Christian, are you abiding in the Word of God? God says, my children abide in the Word of God. They're always looking in that mirror. They keep that mirror handy. And they, they keep looking into it and they, they see the things they need to fix. And oh, guess what? They fix it. They... They fix it. And I love this word. I look this word up here. It says, hey, he becomes an effectual doer. He doesn't forget. He, he becomes an effectual doer. I looked at this Greek word translated effectual, and I, I loved it. It has the connotation of employment. You know what God is saying to us? This is your job. This is your job. To fix what you see that needs to be fixed. This is your job. I love this. I, I, man, you go look at the Greek and it just, boom, it just opens stuff up sometimes. But this is a term of employment. And what does God say about the man who uh, looks intently at the Word and actually does it? What does He say about this man? Blessed is this man. Happy is this man. Happy is this man. Oh, you've got to love this, this exhortation. Then very quickly... Verses 26 and 27, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his, uh, his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. James is not saying, 
you know, if you can control your tongue and one time you went and visited an orphan and you visited a widow, that you're a Christian. That's not what he's saying. He says this is not the, the comprehensive, comprehensively indicative um, sure signs of being a Christian. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying, he's saying a doer of the word uh, does these kinds of things. You know, the Holy Spirit could have written 1,001 things in that verse. But doers of the word do the word. They don't just hear it and forget about it. They do the word. This is what Christianity, this is what Christianity looks like. James says, hey, the, the, the one who truly belongs to the Lord, he says he, he, he keeps his, himself unstained by the world. As I said earlier, you know, we, we're, we're not in the world. We're just passing through the world. We don't get, we don't get uh, you know, ear deep into the world. We don't love the ways of the world. We're not pursuing the, the priorities of the world. We love Jesus Christ and we're going with Him. We don't belong to the world. We're unstained by the world. We're going to God. This is what James is saying. We don't love the world anymore. We love Jesus Christ. And we are giving ourselves away to Him and I just want to make this qualification. I know you're saying, well, Jim, you've been really hard on us, man. You're just hammering us about doing the Word. You're coming down hard on us. And I don't do the Word perfectly. Well, guess what? Neither do I. Praise God for grace, right? And so what is Christianity? All of Christianity, two things. We do the Word and sometimes we sin and we confess it and we forsake it and we go forward because Jesus has forgiven us. Christianity is always two things. Doing the Word, receiving grace. Doing the Word, receiving grace. Doing the Word, receiving grace. Did you get that? Anybody? Can anybody repeat that? What is Christianity? Doing the Word, receiving grace. That's Christianity. So this week, do the Word. And when you sin, you come to your awesome God who lavishes His grace upon you. I'm going to close. I uh, just want to briefly talk about that mirror analogy one more time. This will be my close. The Bible is a mirror. You're supposed to look into it. And you're supposed to fix what you see. This is the Word of God. And so, you need to look into the Word of God. And some of you see your sin. God means for you to repent of that sin. You see things that you've left undone in your life. God means for you to get those things done. You're going to see that in some ways you're still thinking like the world. God means for you to stop thinking like the world in those areas of your life. In some ways, you're going to see that, man, you need, you need to ask forgiveness from somebody. You need to be forgiven, and you need to go to that person, and you need to ask them to forgive you. And then you need, you need to receive that forgiveness. You need to give grace. You need to be forgiven. You may look into the Word and see that you need to stop worrying about everything. You need to trust your sovereign God. You need to trust your sovereign Father. Some of you may look into the Word and see that you need to be more generous with your time and your talents and your money. You need to be more open-handed. Some of you may look into the Word and, and see that, man, you need, to, you need to love your spouse. You need to love your spouse uh, to a higher degree. You need to respect your spouse and you need to love them sacrificially in a way that you haven't before. Some of you may look into the Word and, and realize, man, I need to be serving my church and I need to support my church. I need to serve my church and support my church. It could be a thousand and one different things. But metaphorically speaking, if you have a 12-inch hair growing out of your ear, you should take it out. Nobody wants to see that. Okay? So my challenge to you tonight, my challenge to you tonight, look into the Word of God and fix it. 
Whatever the Holy Spirit's bringing to your heart and mind right now. The Holy Spirit's bringing something to your heart and mind right now. There's something in your life, there's something in my life that needs to be fixed. And I, I'm going to challenge you tonight to fix it. Now you say, Jim, I can't fix it right here and right now. Okay, well you make a covenant with God right here, right now. You're going to fix it this week. I'm going to fix that with God. I'm going to get that fixed. I'm going to do that. And that's what I want to challenge you to do as you prepare your hearts uh, to come to the Lord's table and partake as we celebrate the awesome and unspeakable grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'll leave you with these words. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Let's pray together. Beautiful, awesome God. Thank You for this great text. Thank You that You never let us get lazy. I love that about You, Father. You never let us sit down in the spiritual recliner. You're always calling us to a higher place, a deeper walk, a more committed walk, a walk of greater joy, a walk uh, more close to You. Thank You, Father, that You have exhorted us to be doers of the Word. May we receive Your exhortation. Thank You, Father. You've reminded us that Your Word's a mirror and we're to look into it. And we're to fix the things we see that are not pleasing to You. Lord, may we take this admonition seriously. May we be doers. May we not be deluded. May we be doers. May we be spiritual poets out in the world. May the world read the glory of Christ off our lives. May our, may our spouses read it and our children read it and... and Lord, may everyone in our orbit read it, that we belong to Jesus. We, we don't love the world anymore. We love Jesus Christ and we're doers of His Word, albeit imperfectly. And when we fall, Father, when we sin, we will run to You, we will run to the cross and receive that abundant and amazing grace that You have provided. We praise You, great God. What an awesome exhortation. What an awesome Gospel. We praise You, awesome Father. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.